Well, good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. Love that you're awake. Well, hey, it's really great to be here. I, I just can't believe it. <laughs> uh, I can't believe this is here. This is happening. I'm here with you guys. Uh, we've, we've longed and, and waited to be with you guys, and so we're super excited um, to be here. And I just want you guys to know how great it is to be here with you guys this morning because there's just something special. I think about, I think, being underneath God's Word, being underneath His Word, and I think sitting, hearing what He has to say to us through His Word, Him impressing what He wants us to do, how He wants us to respond and obey I think that, that God, that we have this relationship with God, that, that, that he loves us, we can be confident in it, we know it, um, that he's, he is for us, he's not against us, he doesn't leave us, and he's here with us and he wants to speak to us. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and, and I get to be here with you guys in that, and so I'm excited to be a part of that this morning. Um, so we're, we're, super, we're super happy to be here. Uh, the text that we'll be in this morning is Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 11 through 22. And as you guys get there this morning, um, I want to let you know that this morning I'm going to be sharing a little bit of my story. Um, a little bit of my story and how uh, we got here today because there is this passion inside of me for God's glory. A passion for the gospel, a passion um, for church planning, but the, this passion, it doesn't, it doesn't come from me. It wasn't just, sim- I wasn't just born with it. This was, this was something that, that happened to me, was birthed in me. This uh, church planning, it's not about me. It really isn't, not, it's not about me. I am not the guy. Jesus is the guy. I am not the guy. It's not about me. It all comes from God and really his story. I, I'm just, I'm one person with one story that finds himself in God's story, the story of God's mission, of his redemption, and his restoration. And our text is one of the many passages in Scripture that really tells this story. And I'm really excited to share it because, and I think you'll find that Ephesians really tells our story. It's our story. Our story meaning in the people of God's story. And so I'm really excited to share that. So my hope is that as we walk through this text and as we hear God's story, my hope is that you guys are encouraged, but that you're also spurred spurred on to live out God's story. And so one quick note about how we're going to flow through this text and how, how the sermon is going to look like. Um, I'm going to exposit one of the main themes in this text. So that means that um, there, there's a lot in here, and if I don't get to it, if you felt like I didn't really deal with a portion of the text, um, maybe in a lengthy manner, man, that just gives you one reason to take me out for food or coffee. Um, so we can, I'm just kidding, we can go out, <laughs> pay for myself, but we can hang out and we can talk about what's in this text. Um, so, so if you feel like, man, he's missing something and you're kind of getting edgy, I think just write it down, let's hang out, let's connect, let's talk about it, and, um, because it's there. But I want to I deal with one main part of this text. So now that there's that half sermon preached, let's pray, or let's, let's, uh, let's pray and get into the word. Well, Lord, we, we love you and we, we are excited to, to be with you to be refreshed by you, for you to speak to us, to think, re- reveal ways in which we need you. We ask that you would illuminate the word to us. Holy Spirit, would you be speaking to us? Would you give us hearts that are responsive and receptive to your word? Would you, would you give us eyes to see what you are saying through this passage, that, um, that as we read the passage and as, as the word is preached, Lord, that you would just give us insight, not just simply into this passage, but into our hearts in ways that we need to hold on to you. Would you give us ears to hear what you were saying and, and, and so help us to be obedient at the end of this time, Lord, that we would be obedient joyfully, not 
grudgingly but joyfully, knowing that, that your ways are the best ways for us and that, we, and that we can delight in that. In your name I pray. Amen. Verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows in a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So there is this life-defining uh, defining moment when I was seven years old, a moment that I think as I reflect, I think it really set the trajectory of my life. Um, at that time, my parents divorced. And it for me, at seven years old, it came out of nowhere because I, I was sure that there were some things that, you know, there were, there were tensions, right? I think everybody has some tensions in their marriage, but it just seemed like everything was all hunky-dory, right? Because for me, all I felt was peace. I was just happy. I was just a seven-year-old going about his day. Not much for a seven-year-old to think about, right? Um, but just really happy about his day, really happy to be in, in this family before the divorce, all I remembered was peace. And it's, it's kind of like Disney, right? Every, every one of you, I think, has seen a Disney movie. If you haven't, you will at some point. It just gets you, okay? But Disney has this, like, really unique way of just really starting at the beginning as if there's just nothing but happiness and peace for, like, 10 seconds. And then they grip you with tension, right? And that's what, I just, that's what it felt, feels like as I look back. I mean, even, even, even as I walk through, I'm like, where did this come from? And then, boom, the tension just hits the tension just hits, and all I remember was my dad. He was my hero, right? For me, I thought, man, I want to be just like my dad. He was my hero. He was just gone. I mean, just disappeared like Batman. He was just gone. And that was only the beginning. And so after that, there was this no peace in my house. Uh, tension was introduced, and what I remember the next 10 years was this atmosphere of hostility, I think just brokenness in my family, bitterness between my siblings and I. You've never really met a Thanksgiving like in our family. There was nothing but arguments, constant conflict between my mom and I. I honestly can't tell you of a time where my mom and I did not argue. She made me a really good debater. Or a time where I did not feel tension. And so in my home, I think underneath my mom, I mean, and... By God's grace, we are better today. i got to say that by God's grace, we're better today. But back then, those 10 years, up to 17, I didn't do this good enough. 
That right there, that sweeping job wasn't perfect enough. Those dishes weren't clean enough. Nothing was ever acceptable. And that's, that's just weighty. That's just really weighty. And it was the same thing in almost every area of my life, right? Basketball was a big part of my life. And basketball, you missed a shot, you got benched. If you didn't do a play right, you got yelled at. If you didn't do this right in practice, you didn't get playing time. You know what the equation was? You fail at this, no acceptance. You fail at this, no approval. This equals this. And it wasn't just basketball. It was everywhere in life. Friendships, homework, relationships, everything. And so everything for me changed, praise God. By 17 years old, everything changed. In August of 2005, I was introduced to God's story, and I was changed. I mean, it seemed like in an instant. And I'm gonna, I just want to say that not everybody's salvation story is like this, and it probably shouldn't be, but God has uniquely made every one of us, and we all have our unique salvation stories. But for me, something happened to me in 2005 of August. And I don't know how or why it happened, at that time, I, I, didn't, I couldn't explain it, but all that I knew was that my heart towards my mom, of all people, was changed. Like, just this, this desire to want to argue, gone. And that's rare for a teenager. Right? My view towards the world changed. Went from a, a bitter kid with braids and baggy pants to a kid that just has a different perspective on life. And most of all, my, my heart towards God was just kindled with affection. I mean, I don't know where. I knew nothing like it kindled of, with love and affection. It was awesome. And I wanted to know what happened. I'm a very curious person. I mean, if you would have met me 10 years ago, I would have asked way more questions than I do now. And you might be like, wow. Because I ask a lot of questions. But for me, I wanted to know what happened. And through the scriptures, right, God graciously brought me to and through the scriptures and helped me to understand what he did to me. And this is where Ephesians 2, 11 through 17 comes in. And I want to read it again, but I'm going to, we're going to stop at 17. It says, Therefore, remember that at one time you, and for me, I'm reading this, Gentiles, Josh Williams, in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you, Josh Williams, were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. I read that and I thought, that's my story. I mean, the lights went off in my head and I thought, that is me, praise Jesus. Verse 12, I was separated from Christ, alienated from him and his people, a stranger to the covenantal promises of a people, felt no hope, literally felt no hope, and without God. But verse 13, in Christ, I who was once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Gosh, that was good news. That was such good news to me. Ephesians, the whole, uh, chapter 2, the whole chapter is pointing to the whole biblical story. 
So the Bible ultimately reveals one massive story about God, what he's doing, what he has done in Jesus. And there are four themes, and maybe you've seen these already, but I want to go through them again because I want, to be, I want us to be reminded of, of these four themes. And they're going to be on the screen here in a second. And, and this is not my artwork. Um, this is created by a guy, his, uh, uh, Jeff Sievers, I think is his name. Um, he put it on Twitter. I saw it on Christianity Today. So this is somebody else's work. It's not my own creativity, but I thought it would illustrate something. Four themes. The creation, the fall, redemption, and the restoration. So in the creation, God as creator created everything out of nothing by his word. I mean, that's pretty awesome. Right? I wish I could just say children obey and they do it really fast. And all he created, all that he created, he created with a design and purpose, especially man and woman. And he called it good. Catch this. He said no adjustments needed. No adjustments needed to make you more valuable, to make you more beautiful, to make you better than you are, that's it. It is enough. It's good news in that creation story. But in the fall, man and women, made in his image, rebelled and fell from God's design, trying to make life into their own image. They sinned against God. They created hostility between them and God and created separation, alienation, and distance, falling under the curse of God's wrath and feeling the sting of death every moment they live. And immediately, this is where it's awesome. I mean, pretty soon, right after that, immediately God steps in and, res- and sets a rescue plan of redemption and restoration. From Genesis 3, right after the fall, all the way up to Jesus, you see this redemption plan happen. This plan to reconcile all things to himself. God restoring all things to himself. And anyone who would believe in Christ, who would embrace Christ, he would reconcile them to himself and remove the hostility. And what Ephesians is saying to its original audience is this is your story. This is what you once were. This is what was once true of you. But now this is true of you. And for anyone who puts their faith in Christ, who embraces Jesus Christ, this is true of them. This is their story. And this is what I love about the gospel because the gospel unapologetically, right, unashamedly says that this is the real story. This is your story. Because we step into this world thinking, my story is this, but then God takes us 30,000 feet with the gospel and says, look, this is your story. Look. Verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Every one of us in this room was an outsider. You ever felt like what, it, what it's like to be an outsider? Maybe in middle school, high school, or maybe stepping into a new job, you, you got that in-group, and you're standing out as an outsider. You're not a part of the group. Every one of us was an outsider. At one season of our life, before knowing Jesus as our personal Savior and Lord, we were separated from him. That's our story. Separated, meaning that no, there, there's, no, uh, there's, there's relational hostility between us and God. There is, there was that for us. We were alienated, meaning that we were not a part of God's people and we did not have the benefits of being a part of his people. You know the benefits that come to you being a part of a family, right? Like, like you know that parents are always going to be there. They just kind of have to be, at least you feel that way. Without Christ, we had, we had no idea of those benefits. We did not experience those benefits, and last, we were strangers to the covenants of promise, meaning that God, all of God's promises of his presence 
and of his provision did not belong to us. No promise to us to do that. He did not have to bless us, be kind to us, rain or shine on us. It was for his people. We did not know that. No hope in this life and without God. No access to him. And the indication is that the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, they were not a part of God's family based on what they didn't have. Check this. What they didn't do and also who they just simply were. They had no access. I mean, that's, that's just defeating. And so they were hopeless. They had no access to God. And here's the catch, right? And this was my story too, and this is all of our stories. They had no idea the weight of their problem. They just lived knowing, not even knowing that this was an issue, not knowing that this was available. And so imagine not knowing that you have this major problem that you need to address. Imagine knowing that, that, that the reason why you're experiencing brokenness in your life, brokenness in this world, is, is because we are alienated, distant from God because of our sin. So we're missing out on all the hope and joy, all the abundant life that is found in God because there are issues between us and God. And that was every one of us. We have to, we have to remember that. We have to remember this goodness that we have comes not because of us, but because of God. The pain and brokenness and hostility that I, that I experienced growing up was because I was alienated from God. My family was alienated from God, and it distanced us, and we had no idea that was a problem. We thought each other was a problem. Had no idea. But verse 13, Christ brought us who were far off, not because of anything we have done, not because of any spiritual resume that we have, and not because of anything special in us, only because of Jesus and his blood. Only because of Jesus and, he, and his blood, he brought us near. Ephesians 2.5 talks about, but God in his mercy, in his love. Mercy, not, not giving us what we deserve, in love, brought us near. So huge. So huge that that's our story. We could contribute nothing, and Jesus did everything. We were far off. We were not looking to him. We were not looking for him. We were not pursuing him, but he pursued after us and turned us around and just said, look, look right at me. Look at verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, and he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. So if you look back at verse 11 in your Bible, if you combine it with these verses, they're indicating this relational tension here because according to scholars, it's unclear what the specifics are. Usually Paul, when he would write a letter, he's writing to, to address a specific issue. He's writing theology to address a purpose. Right? He's not like just sitting up in the clouds and like, I think I should write a doctrine about God. No, he's, he's writing to address a purpose here. And so in his letters, he's addressing some type of behavior problem. It's a problem that's really rooted in something deeper. It's never the stuff on the surface. And so most behavior problems, I think if anything we learn about Paul's letters, is most behavior problems are really issues of us putting our promises in the gospel. And notice I said most, because there are, there are sometimes some exceptions. And we don't have time to get into those exceptions, but most of the time, it's a, it's a failure to put our promises in the gospel, or put our trust in the promises of the gospel. So when there is a behavior problem, it's usually a gospel problem. It's a problem with our kids, behavior, gospel problem. Problem with us, gospel problem. 
And so one thing scholars agreed on is that there is this historic hostile relationship um, that's happening between Jewish and non-Jewish relationships. First century Jewish Christians were totally fine with Gentiles being a part of God's family, um, being, being saved and being brought in, but they needed to keep certain laws. Did you catch that, but? So in the OT, if you were in the Old Testament, OT is like slang for Old Testament. Um, if you were going to be a part, if you're going to be a part of God's people, you had to be circumcised. So here's what was happening for them, for Jewish Christians. Faith in Christ was okay. Faith in Christ was okay, but you have to do more. Let me just flip that. Faith in the death of Jesus Christ, a death on the cross of Jesus Christ, was saying that that was not enough. They may not have said that, but by their actions, they were definitely demonstrating it. And when, you, when your words don't match your actions, you can imagine the hostility that the Gentiles were feeling. Because they heard one thing from Jesus Christ, but from his people, they were experiencing something else. I think that's hard to get over. And so imagine, right? Give me an example. Imagine that oodles of people are getting saved in someone's life group. They come to CRC for one of the services. They bring their Bible, and one of the people at CRC sees the Bible in their hand, and they look over and say, ooh, NIV? That's not going to cut it here. It's really not going to do it. really going to be one of us. You have to have the ESV. I'm not knocking on the ESV. I've been using it since I was in college, okay? Um, I love the ESV. But it, it makes the point. It makes the point. It's like if we put anything else as a beer, if, 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 if we're not accepting people because the lingo they're, that they're using is not the lingo we use, there's a major problem there. And so we should not put up any more barriers than Jesus does to be a part of God's family, Right? The only barrier between us and Jesus is our sin. And the only requirement that he gives us is faith in his blood. Trusting in his, what he has done for us. That's the only thing required to be a part of God's family, and that's it. So if it's not sinful, if it's just simply differences, if you like Snickers and I, and, and I like Kit Kat, then, then we should just love each other across those boundaries. Right? That's what makes the gospel so beautiful. What makes the gospel so beautiful it just, it, it is, is not that it just simply makes everybody one, but no, that, that you and I can come from different backgrounds. You and I can have different stories, and all of a sudden we're connecting, right? If we just go based off of my story and your story, we should not be, like, hanging out. But because of Jesus Christ, we're in this room simply because of Jesus Christ. I think that's just good news to a CRC, that we can be here simply because of Jesus Christ. And that good news is for those who are far off getting ahead of myself. And so Paul is speaking into this, and he is saying, no, only Jesus. Only Jesus is needed. Jesus, he gets rid of the hostility. And here's what I love about this passage. We can't see it right away, but if we really dig in, there's this vertical relationship happening. It's being restored. And at the same time, it's making this horizontal restoration possible. It's making horizontal relationships possible. He is saying that any walls of hostility that exist between you have been taken to the grave with Jesus. And because of that, there should be one new man. There should be oneness. There should be unity. And so I think it's hard to catch this at first glance, but the reason you and I could be one in harmony is because we have been reconciled to God. Without that, there's none of this. Without this, there is none 
of this. So just to define reconciliation here, it means simply to make things right. In practicality, I think what's amazing about what God has done for us is that there's bad blood between us. It was our problem, and he, he comes in and he fixes our problem. We should have to fix our own problem, but instead he steps in, he fixes it for us. Hostility because of us, he steps in, breaks, it, breaks our issue, brings us to himself, even though he doesn't need to. I think that's good news. I think that's awesome. There, there are many ways that we can just apply that in all areas of our life. But verse 16, it gives this picture of two people, right? Meeting up at an angle, right? Being reconciled to God, being the point. Being reconciled together, and then therefore being reconciled to each other. Just simply by together being reconciled to God. And you put that together with the fact that Paul is talking about two people groups now. Not just two people, two people groups. Right? From, from, from different nations. Being reconciled to him. And therefore being reconciled to each other from different backgrounds, from different beliefs, from different upbringings, being brought together by him, creating unity in himself through Jesus. If that's true, if he has reconciled us to himself, then we have also been reconciled to each other. So Jesus, he gets rid of the hostility between person to person, by getting rid of it between them and God. So this person is reconciled to God. This person is reconciled to God. Therefore, these two should be reconciled to each other and live that way. And if God has no hostility towards that person who he has saved, then you also should have no hostility to that person he has saved. So let me make it really personal. If God has no more hostility to anybody who's putting their faith in Christ, no matter who they are in your life, you should have no more hostility to them. It begs the question, if there is hostility in your heart towards someone else who is a believer, if God has done it, if he has reconciled them, man, by God's grace, you've had to find a way to be reconciled to them. As long as, long as there can be peace between you guys, as long as, as long as you can do it without having to, I don't even know how to get there yet, but all that I know is that because of God, if there are any tensions in us, we we should pursue after those people. We should pursue reconciliation the way that Jesus has pursued after us. And I know that that can be really complex, and we don't have a lot of time to get into it. But man, that, I think that's enough to help us to know, man, if there are any tensions, even in this room, if there are tensions in your family, by God's grace, get on your knees before him and just plead with him, Lord, help me to be reconciled. So because of Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus preaches peace. Peace belongs to those who embrace Jesus' death for them, and, um, and, and it makes them acceptable to him. This peace is for those who are far off and near, and so what exactly does that mean? Because it doesn't really seem to talk about that a ton, but it seems to be a major part of this theme. And so in these next verses, I want you to know that there, we're going to step into some application-type realities here, and I think we can find the answer of what that peace far off and near means. And so let's look at verse 18. For through him we have both, um, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the, of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole scr- uh, structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Paul is saying here, because of what's true of you in Christ, simply just live that way. It's already true of you. Just live that way. 
Because God has reconciled you to himself through Jesus, live like you are truly reconciled. Because he says, so then, so then meaning in because of the previous verses, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Because God has reconciled those who have put their faith in him, treat them like they truly are reconciled. And then we also should live reconciled to them. Because he says, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And this is, this is built on something that's not my idea. It's not our idea. It's not someone else's idea. This is God's idea. It says that he's built it on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, meaning that this is just simply what the scriptures teach. This is what his word reveals. God's very words reveal. And if, that's, if that doesn't do it for you, he gives you another. Jesus teaches these things. He teaches these things. He proclaims these things because all the Old Testament prophets— they pointed to Jesus. All the New Testament apostles pointed to Jesus. And so to translate, if what Jesus is saying is not enough for you, then that's it. The buck stops with Jesus. There's no other authority. God is putting, or Paul's putting all the weight on Jesus, and God is also putting all the weight on his son Jesus because that's it. Like, there's nothing else for us. The cornerstone, this idea that it was like the foundational piece in the building. If you rip that out, it would make the whole building unstable. If you take Jesus out of this, if you take responding to his word out of this, there's no faith. There's nothing for us. Without Jesus, there is no reconciliation. And that's a huge deal. Without Jesus, there is no us. There's no people of God. There's no, there's no church because Jesus is what created us. His blood on the cross created us. As Ephesians 1, through 23 says, and this is from the CSB. Um, it says, And he, meaning God the Father, subjected everything under his feet, talking about Jesus, and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body. Jesus is the head of the church. He rules over it, and his rulership the way he rules proclaims peace. And so I think how we live, I think how we demonstrate this inside and outside the church makes a huge gospel statement. It makes a statement not just about our lives, but it makes a statement about Jesus. Peace not only means no more war or, or no more hostility, it is also used to say this in the scripture, restoration and relationship. Restoration. Restoration possible. Jesus is preaching restoration with God the Father through the blood, through his son's blood, restoration between each other through his blood. And he took all of the hostility to the grave so that we might walk at peace vertically and horizontally together. Listen to how 1 John 4.20 says it. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So let me just speak to you guys for a minute. This is what I love about Christ Redeemer Church, because we are excelling at this. In my mind, right? I mean, I've only been here for three weeks, but my experience of you guys has shown that you, we, are excelling at this. And it's awesome. And you know how I know? Because, because Lindsay and I have had so many interactions with this church that you guys probably could not even imagine. For example, I've known Brian and Annika here for 11 years. They were, they were there feeding me while I was a college, a college student. Well, I mean, I hung out at their house for like three hours, and then we talked for like two more hours after they dropped me off at home. But we, I, I've known Brian and Annika for 11 years. And, and when, when they were walking through the pain of losing Karis, these CRC people were there. They were there loving Brian and Annika in a way that I've never seen before. <laughs> 
It's crazy. It was awesome. It was otherworldly. When they were having the gender reveal party for Sam, I've never seen a house so packed and people be happy about it at the same time. I mean, I was, I was really basically in Marty Rodriguez's armpit talking to him. I mean, we were really close that night. It was really packed. I mean, if, any, if you guys were there, we were really close. I mean, it was just like one of those weird house parties. But that was three years ago. That was awesome. And throughout this past year, as my wife and I were trying to discern, I think, whether God would have us be church plant residents, you guys had no idea who we were. We kind of snuck in like CIA. But even though you didn't know us, you came up to us and you embraced us as one of your own with no hostility. You loved us. And I know if that's my experience, I mean, that has to be everybody's experience. Maybe not every single person has the exact same experience, but all that I know is that I've experienced God's reconciliation power because of how much you guys love Jesus. I mean, it's written all over the walls. I mean, not literally, but <laughs> because there's feet up there. Um, but it's written all I mean, the songs that we sing, the reverence that, that you feel coming in, the, the desire to want to be underneath God's word, the desire to want to live in community is otherworldly. I mean, there are churches trying to figure out how to do this. And by God's grace, you guys are doing this through the reconciliation power of the gospel. So it's not a pat on our back. This is a pat on Jesus' back thing, saying thank you, Jesus, for doing this in us. Because this is, this is so good. But even though we're excelling, I want to plead with us this morning. Can we do this some more? Can we, can we, can we grow in this some more? Like other people who are not experiencing this, can we just grow in this some more? Can we, can we continue to grow more in the way that we demonstrate this love that Jesus gives us? And so it's easy to say that we mentally agree with Scripture, right? But I think it's another thing to, it's another thing to live it out. We know that it's really hard. And so what I want to do in these next couple of minutes, I think, is just ask some questions to help us search our hearts. Because I really believe that God, even though we know this, even though we, we rejoice in this, I still believe that God wants to do some work in our hearts. And I think the best shot at this is to look at this text and now to begin to ask some questions of our hearts. So here's the first one. And for you writers, they'll be on the screen. Is there evidence in your life that shows you don't believe you're reconciled to God? Any evidence in your life, somewhere in your life? Like even now as you're listening to that question, just be asking the Lord, hey, is there evidence in me? Not because I'm, I'm lame sauce or just, it just, just simply just because I'm a sinner, sinner and I'm still progressively being sanctified, being uh, conformed to the image of Christ just simply because Jesus is still working in us. But there are areas I know Prayer is in me. Is there evidence in your life that shows you don't believe you're reconciled to God? Next question. What ways do you make other believers feel like they are not restored to God? And that, was hard. that one's hard because that, that thing that comes with ways that we don't even know about ourselves that really project on people, and that just takes the grace of God through his people to really help us know that. There are probably some of those things that some of our friends or people we walk with tell us like that, that just keep being on repeat. They put them on loop, and it's like, oh, man, I should probably deal with that. But are there ways that we make people feel like they're not restored to God? Is there ways that, like, that, that we come off that, that, helps, that makes people feel like we're not restored to God? Like for me, for example, my face, like my resting face, my face like when I'm on default looks like I'm just either in deep thought or I'm angry, and I'm not inside. But like... I know that can come off as like, man, he's, 
He's intense. There's the love of God in him, you know. What areas, if any, do you uh, have hostility toward another believer? And how do you need to repent of that? Is there any hostility? I mean, it's possible. It could be in your home. Or it could be outside of your home. It could be in your life group. It could, be a, it could be at work. If there's another believer at work, you just don't like the way he chooses food. Last question. As you rub shoulders with our culture, are your actions and words proclaiming a message of peace through Jesus? So how we live, I think, toward those who don't know Jesus, I think it extends an invitation of peace through the gospel, through Jesus. The way that we live, I think it, it lets them know that there is this invitation of peace through Jesus. Literally by us loving them, we are this extension of Jesus to them that they would just, either, they would just get a glimpse of the love that is found in Jesus, the abundant life that is found in in Jesus, just simply by the way that we live. And so Jesus, I think he sends us in, he sends, he sends the church, right? Us, not just us, but the church global into the community, I think into the culture with a message of peace through Jesus. It's one of the main messages he's, he sends us into, not the only one, but one of the main ones in hopes that they would find peace through him themselves. And so I think through our speaking, people hear the gospel, through our living, they see the gospel lived. Through our speaking, through our living, and so Here's what we got to, I think, come to, I think, come to grips with. I think in our culture, there's a different message than that. Because I think in our culture, if you think about it, I think everybody knows there's no question that there's, there seems to be hostility right now in our culture. I mean, if you're not a Twitter follower, maybe don't do that. But if you go on Twitter, I mean, I don't know how you can just read it and not be anxious because I get anxious. I mean, I'm on Twitter, I'm just seeing so much argument on there. But not just there, but just even now just in our culture. I mean, Minnesota's known for being Minnesota nice, but there are places where you feel like, man, there's some hostility. I think there's no doubt that there's hostility. And here's what the culture believes. It seems like that hostility is won by battle, or peace is won by battle. Hostility is broken by argument. And for Jesus, there's no argument, but there was death. He took it to the grave, and that's where peace is found. And so I'm afraid that our culture will not find the peace that they are desperately wanting because if they don't find peace through reconciling through Jesus Christ, there is no peace for them. They can find pseudo-peace in different pockets, but their souls will be uneasy until they find peace in Jesus. And so God has restored us to himself so that we might live restored to him, to each other, and even in different ways to those not his people. And so I would ask, what is God saying to you through all of this? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much to be a part of what you're doing here at CRC. It's so good to be able to preach. It's so good to be able to just say the good news of your story. And, and this is what I love about you and what you're doing through the gospel, Lord, that you, you invite us in only simply because of your blood. And you, you invite us to be a part of your kingdom that your kingdom, which seems so invisible, would become visible to the people um, we rub shoulders with. Lord, that would you help us to be, I think, people who are light, to step in this world full of darkness, to push back the darkness, but first by being reconciled to you. And so, Lord, this, this story, I think, is mixed with weightiness but joy at the same time. 
And the more the weight, the, the, the deeper the joy, the more the joy. And would you help us to feel that this morning? And I pray that you would work in us to continue to be people that really demonstrate this message of peace. Continue working in CRC for the glory of your name and for the, for, for the message of the gospel, demonstrating what hope is found in Jesus, which is way more than this world has to offer. So thank you so much that you found us, that you sought us, that you brought us, you brought us near. I think for some, even for who weren't even asking for it, but thank you that you did. And, and so we love you so much. Would you change us in ways that we don't even know how to ask for? Would you work in us in ways that we don't even know how to ask for? In your name I pray. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you.